from LPM. Louisville Public Media. Support for LPM Podcasts comes from the Eye Care Institute and Butchertown Clinical Trials, where they strive for diversity, equity, and inclusion within their staff, patients, and clinical trial participants. To learn more, visit butchertown.clinic. Support for Strange Fruit comes from Caperton Realty, a locally owned and operated real estate company committed to helping clients find their ideal home in Louisville and the surrounding areas. Families and homes, each designed differently. Details by email, adam at capertonrealty.com. Hi, I'm Kyla. And this is Jay. And you're listening to Strange Fruit on WFPL. Uh, welcome back to listeners. Another exciting show for you all, of course. Um, please stick around because after we finish with Juicy Fruit, we're going to listen to an interview, Doc, that you did with Eric Stanley. Eric Stanley is in, um, is a writer and a scholar who wrote an essay called Near Life, Queer Death, Overkill, and Ontological Capture. And his essay is essentially about the ways in which primarily black and brown butch queens, gay men, have been... Um, systematically kind of murdered year after year for the better of the last 20 years or so. And and so, of course, on the heels of Orlando, but even prior to like Matthew Shepard, that it's routine that, and he highlights several cases of black and brown men who have been murdered, oftentimes by loved ones, and then sometimes the murders remain unsolved. And so that's a very interesting um, essay for us to dissect uh, in light of everything that's been going on. But um, on a lighter note, we want to, of course, discuss the BET Awards, yes. which, which aired this week um, on BET. And a lot of folks were looking forward to it, of course, because... The Grammys did such a dismal job of making an appropriate (laughs) tribute to Prince. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And uh, so on a commercial break, shortly after the tribute of Madonna, BET ran a commercial, which they clearly had prepared in advance. They anticipated anticipated a, a lackluster performance by Madonna. Uh, but they tweet they they made a commercial that said, "Yo, we saw that performance. We got you." Yeah, uh, letting folks know to look forward to uh, this week's episode uh, uh, airing of the BET Awards, where they promised to give an appropriate tribute to Prince. Yeah, obvious question: Did they do a good job? Because they they didn't do one single tribute. They did several vignettes, several different performances by different artists. And uh, do you think were they all a smash, half and half? Did they all fall um, short? What do you think? Well, I did not. I mean, I just I felt. Lackluster from Bilal. I know the girls, everybody was going up. Everybody was like, yes, Bilal, but I just didn't feel that with First Bilal. of all, I didn't know that was Bilal. I'm like, who is this? He looked like a convict. <laughs> like straight out. Oh, I was, oh it was goodness. a dude with some cornrows, like a cutoff uh, button down and some tats. And you know what? Bilal is, I know him from his music. What's that song? Sometimes he has a really good song. Yeah, sometimes it's really But he's good. not as popular as, say, like Maxwell or D'Angelo, where you know him by looking at him. So yeah. I didn't know who he was. Well, he so oftentimes, this- too, switches up his look all the time. Okay. Bilal, like, goes from. Looking kind of bizarro, bizarro, so he was going and to very the fresh, Andre the fresh, 3000. The fresh out the pin look is what he was going to for. This like night. a different, yeah, yeah. Like he just <laughs> changes up his aesthetic. But I just wasn't. I really like Bilal, but I just I wasn't living like that. Now, yeah. um, but it was a sexy performance. He was rolling on the floor. Yeah. Uh, and I guess but Erica the, uh, didn't move me either. No, Erica did. She did a, a kind of a bad job. I, didn't, I mean, I love yeah, the orchid on the yeah, wrist. Yes, but she did a kind of a bad job. <laughs> but I was like, no. For... And to me, Erica Badu is one of those singers who does a better job of singing her own songs than will ever do. Yeah. She's not a tribute artist. She does. She's not the kind of woman you want to sing Stevie Wonder or yeah. Michael Jackson. She You want her to do Window Seat. You know, yeah, on and she on, does unique songs. She has yeah. a unique voice, and I think it, I do find it. It's harder for her to do 
other folks' stuff. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know who Tori because Kelly she didn't is. Have, with Tori Kelly, though, okay, I know, I know you don't know who she is. I'm a pop culture she. aficionado. Okay. She was on American Idol several years ago, Okay, uh, left that show, and then she became uh, like a YouTube sensation, and she is a white girl who can blow. Like, she really okay. is. Like, And that's what I think is always interesting. The BET Awards, like the Source Awards, all the black shows have a way of having like one white artist mm-hmm. who really gets down, and it used to be Christina Aguilera. Right, it used to be yeah. Tina Marie, and so right now Tori Kelly is that vein of artist, but she did a good job. Jennifer Hudson, yes or no? I like Jennifer Hudson. I, say, Hell I mean, no. I mean, I, you didn't like no. that rendition of Purple Rain? To me, she is, I, t- I tell you, she was on the same season as Fantasia during American Idol. Uh-huh. To me, Fantasia is the better singer, right? Oh. But as someone on Facebook pointed out recently, Jennifer is more polished, Fantasia is very bangy. Yeah, Vantage you know, is very, very Hong Kong voice to me. Yes. Very... Oh, stop. No, no but she very takes the church. She takes the church. Yeah, but it, she know, had a raspiness about her. We're never her, gonna but... do nothing nice. Yeah, we're gonna take it rough. Always do it rough. But but Jennifer Fantasia. Hudson to me sometimes you know she falls short. She isn't always on key to me, and she kind of just screams and hollers. But she's much more polished of an act than Fantasia. So, but I would prefer Fantasia, I think, to do Prince. She would have done Purple Rain in, in the in the best way possible. But uh, my favorites, of course, our favorite person, Janelle Monae. Yeah, I like, I like uh, Jennifer Hudson. Okay, whatever. Janelle yeah. Monae did a wonderful job. No? Oh, my God. I did what, not. the singing or the dancing or what? I mean, I just didn't. I didn't live. Oh, dog. I know. Blasphemy. And then she had, she she did an homage to the butt cheeks being out when she had her butt. I really liked that. I, I felt like she did a great night. She had danced, that. though. She had danced. I just was like. Ouch. You know what it was? To me, I think it was. I was excited for the tribute, but then it just the song every, choices you didn't like. No, every tribute just reminded me like, wow, Prince is gone. But you, but like, no one, but nobody but Doc, can do because, it. Like, but he's you posed such the a, question on Facebook. A hard artist to tribute. You posed to. the question though, why these particular songs? And I wonder because you know Prince was very shady with his recordings, right? Like if you ever go to YouTube, you can't really play his music. No, yeah. So I wonder if I was wondering like, why do all these tributes pick like the Sinead O'Connor song that he wrote for her, and like why are they picking these really obscure songs versus like. The more popular ones, I wonder if there if there's some limits as to what he's allowed people to record or even perform. I don't know. Oh, maybe. Could be right, I mean, could be wrong, I mean, but like way, I would love but... to hear P Control and like I mean we heard Kiss, but like yeah. um Raspberry Beret and like those really popular songs, nineteen ninety nine, people have seemed to skip over those in lieu of like some other obscure stuff. Well, I, I mean, don't know. yeah, I just I mean I, for mine I, I liked J Hood and I kind of did like Janelle Monet, but I just Did you like, enjoy it was Sheila not E? Prince. Sheila E. Sheila E was Hands down, my favorite. Okay, now does she sing or does she just drum? No, because she I fast forwarded. She played the guitar. I mean, okay. she danced. She slid herself on the ground. Did you see honey? Mate? I mean, huh? Do you remember Mate from uh, Hollywood Exes? Remember yes. uh, Ella, what is? Yeah, and you know his Prince's ex-wife. She was a backup dancer during that Sheila E performance. Oh, I don't was know if you she? Caught the shade. Oh, yeah. Well, so catch that on your DVR, y'all. Mate. Um, but yeah, I feel like Sheila E killed it. But it's also Sheila E performed with Prince. Prince and her, you know, sang together. Um, they did music and created music together. I mean. Even the way at the end where she kind of places the guitar up and, and you know, like it, the tribute wasn't at all about her ability to sound like this incredible artist, yeah, but it was it, about her ability her, to, yeah. you know, pay homage to this artist. And I just felt like every artist was kind of like, I'm so excited I got to do Prince. You know what I mean? And that's yeah, cute yeah. and that's cool, but it's like, oop, it wasn't to me like a salute. And, I, I feel you know. you. Yeah. Uh, on another note, I have to eat a little bit of crow. Because you know, I was not a fan of Beyonce. This, you know, I haven't talked a lot about it on the show, but on Facebook, people know <laughs> I made some enemies because I just I did not get the, the night the visual album premiere. I did not get it. Yeah. Now, again, I was not critiquing the songs themselves, but I just did not get it. I was like, "What is this?" It doesn't make any sense. But and it's you cool. really it's just like on me. Babe, pop. I, I like I like, like my poppy. pop Beyonce, my pop diva, but it's growing on me. I like the song "Sorry." 
Yeah. Uh, you know, so some of his the Daddy Issue song. What's it yeah, called? Uh, uh, Daddy Issue. Okay. And so, <laughs> but this one that she does with Kendrick Lamar, which they opened the BET mm-hmm. Awards with this song, is called Freedom. Yep. And it was a very powerful uh, performance. It's a great song, but a powerful performance where they were kind of walking on water, dancing on water. They had uh, a tribal motifs on the background. Mm-hmm. And it was really, she had like her little dookie braids going on. It was really, what did you think about Beyonce? Yeah, I, I loved it. I mean, one, I loved that it opened. Of course, it opened the show. Yes. And of course, it was fierce. And it was like, I mean, literally making herself walk on water, making both of them and their black selves walk on water and this kind of nod to... Um, revolution and and being powerful in a divine way, like okay. Jesus, like a, you know, that's the only kind of figure we know who's said to have walked on water. Supposedly, oh Beyonce or Je- oh, oh Jesus, Jesus <laughs> like, uh, that's a stress. But <laughs> no, that's, yeah, Jesus, I don't know what you right? Mean, yes. So like, um, the fact that they put themselves, you know, doing that at the same As black time, black divinity, kind of, yeah, yeah, with the tr- with the the African motifs, with the dancing, even the stomping. The kind of signifying that they were doing throughout was very African, very call and response, um, in conjunction with the fire and the fire and water being major elements. Yeah. I mean, I just was like, it was beautiful. It, it was, was creative. To me, it like really earth, was. It earth was shattering. And I it probably cost a lot of money to produce, but Beyonce yeah. worth it. Um, and I, li- I live. And, and of course, like like a, like a true London. diva, the true Pop diva. Child, she did her performance, and okay. then so so then later, but it's like Tina later in the show that she gets an award, and so her <laughs> mother goes. And I think it's probably the first time that now Tina has been honored before as like a stylist. But that's the first time I think that, that Tina, the mother of Beyonce, has accepted an award on her behalf. And child, she ate every bit of that I mean, that, spotlight. But she was she was a little all over the place. It was just too much. Uh, we have to get to to this conversation that you had uh, about Black Death, the death of Black queer people. But before we do that, I want to end with uh, taking a listen to Jesse Williams's BET Awards speech for his acceptance. He was honored like as an as an activist, one of the entertainer activists in the vein of of uh. uh Harry Belafonte. Mm-hmm. And so he got up there and made a very rousing, very inspirational, very appropriate speech about the state of black America. So let's listen to that. And then you and I will share some thoughts about that. Yesterday would have been young Tamir Rice's 14th birthday. So I don't want to hear any more about how far we've come when paid public servants can pull a drive-by and a 12-year-old playing alone in a park in broad daylight, killing him on television and then going home to make a sandwich. Tell Rakia Boyd how it's so much better to live in 2012 than it is to live in 1612 or 1712. Tell that to Eric Garner. Tell that to Sandra Bland. Tell that to Dorian Hunt. Now the thing is though, all of us in here getting money, that alone isn't gonna stop this. All right? Now dedicating our lives, dedicating our lives to getting money just to give it right back for someone's brand on our body, when we spent centuries praying with brands on our bodies, and now we pray to get paid for brands on our bodies. There has been no war that we have not fought and died on the front lines of. There has been no job we haven't done. There's no tax they haven't levied against us, and we've paid all of them. But freedom is somehow always conditional here. You're free, they keep telling us. But she, she, she would have been alive if she hadn't acted so free. Now, freedom is always coming in the hereafter. But you know what, though? The hereafter is a hustle. We want it now. And let's get, let's get a couple things straight, just a little side note. The burden of the brutalized is not to comfort the bystander. 
that's not our job. All right, stop with all that. If you have a critique for the resistance, for our resistance, then you better have an established record of critique of our oppression. If you have no interest, if you have no interest in equal rights for black people, then do not make suggestions to those who do. Sit down. We've been floating this country on credit for centuries, yo. And we're done watching and waiting while this invention called whiteness uses and abuses us, burying black people out of sight and out of mind while extracting our culture, our dollars, our entertainment like oil, black gold, ghettoizing and demeaning our creations, then stealing them, gentrifying our genius, and then trying us on like costumes before discarding our bodies like rinds of strange fruit. The thing is, though, the thing is that just because we're magic doesn't mean we're not real. Thank you. All right, Doc, what did you think? I mean, that was clearly the best the thing about, about the BET Awards, if not yes. the best thing to come out of an award show in a very long time. Yes, and people have taken to Twitter and Facebook and started calling uh, Jesse Williams Woke Bay, hashtag Woke Bay, um, hashtag Activist Bay. Yeah. Um, he's everybody's Bay uh, Man Crush sword, Monday. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I saw my friend Frank Roberts had wrote on his status that today in Jesse Williams' uh, inbox, uh, marriage proposals from women, marriage proposals from men. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> churches want him to come and speak at the annual picnic. But I'm, you know, I'm sure you're going to get lots of invitations this, to, to, oh, to, yeah, to be yeah. doing stuff. But I mean, but he's been like this from the beginning, from the start Because you went to his... school with him in, back in yeah, Temple. Yes, yes. I mean, he was an undergrad in African-American studies at Temple while I was a graduate student in African-American studies at Temple. And all of us had to take uh, research methods by Dr. Sonia Peterson Lewis and Jesse was actually one of her prize students that she introduced us to one day when our class was coming in, their class was leaving, and he had locks then, and he was still like cute as as a, as a button. He was adorable, yeah. and he always has had a really strong consciousness. Now yeah. I didn't know what happened to him after I finished, he finished, but apparently he went on, became a teacher. Yeah, teacher, yeah. Um, and again, his focus in college was black studies and film and media. So yeah. he is really learned and well aware of the way in which institutions and especially oppressive institutions function and stuff. And yeah. I really and he's made he's made the most of his platform. Said. So let's yeah. um, uh, but I tell you one person who especially uh, for a new actor yeah. like he, because he's new and he's just now in grays yeah. and even though he's very popular and all of that like for him it's to a risk be yeah but an I, but I, but I so tribute, but I tribute that to like look, fortunately for him that he works for Shonda Rhimes like I was mm-hmm. thinking last night if he worked for any other. Say for maybe Oprah, but if he worked for any other producer in Hollywood, he would not have the ability or the gall to make such bold statements as he does working for Shonda Rhimes. And I appreciate that about mm. what she does, that she's never tried to restrict her, her talent. Right. Has always encouraged them to be free thinking. She's made in her own right um, you know, statements like uh, clapping back at people who are homophobic about scenes of LGBT people in her, in her shows. You know, that she really is um, a person who believes that the person is political and, and she's encouraged that in her artist as well. Mm-hmm. I completely yeah. agree. A person who got it wrong though, Doc, Justin Timberlake, have you heard? Justin Timberlake oh. saw the speech. Allegedly he was, in, well, not allegedly, he says he was inspired. So he tweets Jesse um, after the award show and says, uh, Jesse Williams though, inspired, hashtag inspired, hashtag BET 2016. Well, of course, black Twitter takes advantage of the chance to kind of check Justin Timberlake because Jesse 
uh, bitches in particular, white folk who want to, quote, wear the costume of blackness, i.e. your Kylie Jenners, i.e. your Vanilla Ices, i.e. those white people who want to have everything but the burden. And mm-hmm. a lot of people see Justin Timberlake as being one of those people, especially because of what happened at the Super Bowl several years ago when he and Jenna Jackson performed. They have the, quote, uh, wardrobe malfunction. Her breast pops out. Her career goes in the tank. His career takes off. And so people see like him as a very kind of controversial figure of someone mm-hmm. who walks the line between co-opting blackness when it's convenient. And so uh, someone cr- criticized him for, for like being one of those people. And he, he writes back and he says, oh, you sweet soul. The more you realize that we are the same, the more we can have a conversation. Bye. He was really dismissive, really condescending, and essentially saying, hashtag all lives matter, that we're all the same. There is no black and white. Yeah, human and of course, race. People had a field day. They, they, you know, they let him have it. You know, from the pictures of him with cornrows to what he did to Janet, and just let, letting him know that he occupies space in, you know, in, in, in a black market. You know, when it's convenient for him, but when it's mm-hmm. not, he goes back to being Justin Timberlake, who married Britney Spears, and now he's getting married to what Jessica Alba or somebody. No, you know, Jessica Biel. Jessica Biel. Heaven. Yeah. So <laughs> you know, he uses whiteness when it's convenient for him. You know, yeah, when he, when yeah. He went I mean, solo, his last 2020 album is really not only this idea of white artists co-opting rap or hip hop, right? Which is something that is a very recent musical phenomenon, even though it's only, you know, it's like 30 years old. But, I mean, Timberlake with the last album is going all the way back to the blues. He's going yeah. all the way back to um, things that are historically, pr- presently, almost all black, yeah, yeah, right? Absolutely. So, Drink You Away, I mean, a lot of songs on his album, you know, they talk about, yeah, we the Tennessee boys and all this, like motifs, Southern motifs, the yeah, Black South, yeah. the idea of the Chitlin circuit, quote unquote. Yeah. All those are motifs in his yeah, absolutely. Um, in his last album that's the, uh, basically the most popular. Yeah. And so it's true. I mean, I do think that uh, for years Timberlake has teetered on uh, that thing, you know, the, yeah. that, that line. So of, he, he apologizes subsequently. Yeah. He says that he forgets that this is the forum, that he says that the tweet that sparked, that sparked all the debate was a personal reply to somebody who criticized him. And he uh, he reiterates that he thinks that we're all a human race, one human race, but he does apologize to anyone, quote, who felt that he was out of turn. He says he has nothing but love for, for you and all of us. So uh, whatever, JT. Um, mm. Doc, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to uh, check out your interview with scholar Eric Stanley, who's the co-editor of Captive Genders, Trans Embodiment, and the Prison Industrial Complex, who writes about trans and queer identities um, at the intersection of race. This is Strange Fruit on WFPO. Are you hungry for more Strange Fruit? I'm hungry. Just can't wait for more. Where else can you go in, get it done your way, and go out without paying? Visit us online at strangefruitpod.org. Like us on Facebook. You like the adulation, the applause. Or follow us on Twitter at Strange Fruit Pod. And this is what the gay life is about. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. You're listening to Strange Fruit on WFPL. So next up is your discussion with Eric Stanley. Let's check it out. You wrote an essay called Near Life, Queer Death, Overkill, and Ontological Capture. Can you explain to our listeners what gave you the impetus to write this article? Sure. So this article is part of a larger book project that I've been working on for, oh my gosh, close to 15 years now. And in that book project, I'm try- in the article and in the book project, I'm trying to think about um, the ways in which anti-trans and anti-queer violence, which is always racialized, which is always gendered, is actually one of the foundational um, forms of violence that compromises, that, that, that makes up the United States, right? And so right now, 
um, especially in the wake of Orlando and in the, in the, of the other instances of anti-queer and anti-trans violence, oftentimes it gets explained as being the work of, you know, one discrete um, kind of bad person or the bad apple syndrome. And what I'm trying to do in that article and in, in the larger project is think about the ways in which um, that kind of argument of it being about a single person sutures over the ways in which it's a kind of part of a larger culture of violence that we live in. Mm. Now, you use a lot of Fanon, Franz Fanon, in your article mm. to yeah. talk about the racialization of violence. Can you elaborate for uh-huh. our listeners and explain the racialization of violence and why it seems as if people of color who are trans and also queer uh-huh. people of uh-huh. color are more, mm-hmm. you know, more susceptible to attacks, murder, etc.? Sure. Um, for me, Fanon is, you know, one of the one of our great thinkers, um, and helps us understand um, the structure of violence, specifically through French colonialism. But in my work, I try to think about, you know, the uses, um, the promises, and both the problems of using Fanon's work in an American context, which is, you know, radically different than um, either North Africa or. Martinique or any other French colony. Um, and But for me, what Fanon does is help us think about um, exactly like what you're saying, that um, anti-trans and anti-queer violence, at least in the United States context, is always racialized. Um, specifically, as we know, as is well-documented, trans women of color, specifically black and Latina trans women, um, experience the, the most disproportionate amounts of really vicious um, and really brutal violence, oftentimes leading to their death. Um, and we can think of a number of reasons why that is, um, you know, starting with the kind of mere fact that the United States is a settler colony, that it was built off, uh, you know, built off of chattel slavery, that the afterlives of both of these institutions are continuing to this day, which means that we live in, an, you know, in a fundamentally anti-Black society. And so to that end, it's really no surprise that the people that experience the most heightened forms of these violences are, you know, trans women of color, specifically black trans women. Mm, Yeah. Now, in the aftermath of Orlando, how do you feel as if your article and the the points you touch on, which are brilliant, by the Mm. way, and I encourage our listeners to check out your article and we look forward to your book. But in the aftermath of Orlando, it seems as if the assailant murderer, right, Omar Mateen, specifically targeted, right, during the month of Pride Month, which is this month, June, Mm -hmm. also targeted the Pulse nightclub on a night that was deemed Latin night. You know, can you draw any conclusions from that? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's something that I've been thinking a lot about and trying to really unpack um, the the racial implications of this specific attack and thinking about it in the broader structures of, you know, racial capitalism in the United States and what that means. And I think that... um, that we can't let the fact that it was Latin night, that it was almost, I think, exclusively, um, you know, Latinx and black people that were murdered, we can't let that fall out of the equation, right? We can't make this be mm-hmm. about, you know, white LGBT violence writ large, right? We have to always be really attentive to the ways in which, um, you know, the specificity of, of these attacks, because they tell us a lot about what is actually happening. So we can't let that fall out. And I think that for myself, I actually, you know, and, and it still feels so fresh that I actually haven't been able to, to unpack all, all, all the different um, meanings that that offers us. But I think that it's really important that we collectively do that work. 
Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, even just recently, we had another murder of a black trans woman, um, mm-hmm. which makes it around 22 just in within this past year. And right. what I've also noticed in the news coverage of the aftermath of Orlando, there seems to be a deep political, you know, they're, they're trying to somehow... Um, I would say whitewash or mainstream the political Mm -hmm. identities that were attached. So especially in the beginning of the coverage, there was a lot of it was a it was a club that was open to gay people or it was just a nightclub. And, you know, maybe gay people were in there. Um, They you know, what can you explain to our listeners why you feel as if there was this need to brush over the fact that this was a gay club, brush over the fact that most Mm -hmm. of the slain individuals were Latin, you know, um, Mm -hmm. were people of color, you know, what do you think that's about? Do you think that that relates to a lot of the arguments that you make in your article, essentially, which is to destigmatize the United States and see the United States and the violence that's attached to our nation historically and presently as separate? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that um, in the aftermath of this attack, I mean, I was in the airport and I saw a number of the newspapers from around the country, and very few of them actually use even the words LGBT, let alone, you know, Latinx or, or queer or trans, right? So even even the kind of more, um, you know, less threatening identity of LGBT was missing. And so the way that the news media and the way that I've seen um, both the, 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 the local government in Florida as well as the United States government um, attending or not to this incident is by, you know, like you're saying, erasing the fact that these were um, LGBT folks, that these were trans and queer and gender nonconforming people, and that were they were attacked specifically because of that, right? It wasn't an accident. It wasn't that they just happened to be there. It wasn't that it was just a random club. It wasn't that it could, quote-unquote, happen to any of us, right? And I think that that is part of a long history in the United States of attempting to, you know, like you're saying, whitewash and also um, heterosexualize these instances of national mourning so that everyone can, quote-unquote, feel the pain. But we know that they you know, more often than not, are about specifically attacking groups of people and not just about a kind of randomized violence. And so I think that we need to be really careful in the ways that we talk about this and the ways that we attend to it so that that doesn't fall out of the picture. Mm. Why do you think it's necessary for media as well as government officials, state officials to, you know, try and cover up the specificity of this attack Mm -hmm. and of these murders? Right. I mean, I think that, you know, what would it mean for the United States government to admit that, you know, it's foundational, foundationally racist, that it's foundationally trans and homophobic? Like, what would that actually mean? And I think that um, not paying attention to the ways in which this this was a specific attack on a specific group of people allows them to continue the fiction that, you know, we're in a kind of, quote unquote, moment of equality, that we're in this moment of, you know, a post-racial moment and in a moment of, you know, everyone is equal. And I think that that's part of of building that mythology. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for talking sure. to us. And thanks so much for sure. your insight. Oh, sure. Thank you. All right. So thank you to uh, Scholar Stanley for uh, joining us to make uh, to process uh, all this happened. Speaking of Orlando, Doc, a lot of folks were criticizing, especially our friend to the show, Walter Walker, mm-hmm. was criticizing BET for not being much more intentional about mentioning the tragedy in Orlando. Uh, the Tonys talked about it. A lot of stations uh, have really been intentional about speaking about the tragedy there. In fact, some even black 
uh, and hip hop and urban artists have done that. Remy Ma had a wonderful post on Instagram about doing a show recently and that a fan hit her up and said they wanted to come, but they were afraid. And that she says that every time she does a, a pride benefit or a pride show, those are the most crunk audiences that she has. And she, so she mm. does a, makes this really uh, wonderful post about solidarity with, with LGBTQ people. But do you think the BET fell short when it came to recognizing, especially considering that a lot of people, all the people who died really were either black or brown people? Mm-hmm. Should BET have done better? Um, yeah, I think that, you know, Deborah Lee was trying to, you know, she talked about Orlando as a tragedy and talked about it, but talked about it in a way that was in conjunction with repealing gun laws, making gun laws stricter, in conjunction with John Lewis and other Democrats who last week sat in, right, sat yes. in to get a vote on um, revisiting, you know, gun rights, and, gun such, rights yes. and stuff like that. But, I mean, she doesn't say and she didn't specify. Explicitly. You know, that it was a, a hate crime against LGBT people. No, yeah. she puts it in conjunction with like Sandy Hook. She puts it in conjunction with other mass shootings. And not to say that this was not a mass shooting, but it wasn't a mass shooting in the same way that uh, the South Carolina shooting. Right. These were yeah. his attack was about pointed um, and wanting to start a race war. He's been quoted as saying that where this was specific to LGBT folks, yeah. to and, and LGBT I think people that, of color in yes, particular. Yes. It wasn't yeah, just like so, some random white people. So, yeah. And, and and, and I'll go back to a point that I frequently make on this show about the problem I have with artists. And listen, I'll be honest in particular, but artists in that vein and, and companies in the vein of BET that want to co-opt and borrow from black queer culture and have all the fun but don't want to have any obligation mm-hmm. to our uplift. So people love Beyonce. They love her histrionics. Even um, during the BET award show, they would do the preview for that new reality show, F is in Fabulous. And mm-hmm. if I don't know if you saw that, but there are three women figures and then there's one butch queen. You know, and, okay. and this is supposed to be like these fabulous kids trying to navigate the fashion industry. But he's this is boy in like in a dress and a and a high hat. You know, so again at the same time okay. that you have black queer people present on your channel and you know, on, on shows like Love and Hip Hop and, and all those kind of urban shows, those urban channels are not willing to tackle this issue head on. So mm-hmm. cheers mm-hmm. to that. Um we're out of time, y'all. We gotta go. But please share with us your feedback about the BET Awards. Shout out to The Guardian. If you all are fans of TheGuardian.com, a popular online news site, they gave us a shout out this week. So shout out back to The Guardian. We appreciate uh, them listening to us as one of their favorite podcasts. So we got to go. Say goodbye. Bye. Bye, everybody. The views presented on Strange Fruit do not reflect those of Louisville Public Media, its staff, or its underwriters. I'm Jason Gardner. And I'm Kyla Story. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening. Support comes from Vision Zero. On foot or behind the wheel, safety is a shared responsibility. And Vision Zero Louisville believes zero roadway fatalities is the only acceptable amount. Their mission is to create safe roads by design, engineering solutions, and education. More information at visionzerolouisville.org. 